Uh, I have um, so much on my heart tonight, so much. And um, so we're, we're just going to go for it. Uh, and it all starts with this question. Have you ever seen a miracle? Have you, have you ever seen a miracle? Your own eyes, your own being. I, I mean, I, I know you have, I, I know you've gotten an email forward before that was pretty incredible, right? Like all the bold colors and nice fonts and like that, the animation at the bottom that your mom sent you. And uh, it was about this miraculous story. And the subtitle was this, this is a tearjerker. Like I know you've, I'm not talking about that kind of miracle. I'm, I'm not talking about uh, the, the 1980 um, uh, U.S. win over Russia. Any hockey fans here? Uh, I just have a word for all of those of you who are hockey fans. Um, real quick, just a moment of vulnerability. Uh, football is the real sport. And uh, those are... Those are you uh, that enjoy hockey. I'm totally cool with that. Uh, You're basically a glorified figure skater, so please enjoy that. It's great to have you guys here. Um, So nothing against figure skating. Nothing against figure skating. Uh, For me, uh, I'm not talking about those things. I'm wondering if you've seen a miracle. Um, I know for some of you, you'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, I have. I walked across the stage and got a diploma. Like, that was actually quite... And, and you, know, you know there were a couple of classmates where you're like, that is a miracle. You know, like, I don't know how you just did that, but that's awesome, you know. Uh, maybe for some of you, you'd say the, the man or the woman sitting next to you is a, is a gift of God, you know, miraculous that you have her or him. Uh, that's me setting you up to, for the nudge and the, you're my miracle. You know, like, the, it's an awesome moment. It's a pretty solid line, actually, if you think about it. I know maybe, maybe for some of you, you would just be like, actually, just getting up this morning was a miracle of God. Would any of you guys say that? Okay, it's good. Proud of, you, proud of those folks. Uh, for me, uh, the greatest miracle I ever experienced, um, this seven-year-old kid, uh, death was imminent. I remember um, kind of everything that was going on around it feels like yesterday. I remember the parents um, pleading that God would do something, that, that he would intervene. And, uh, and then, though it was improbable, God did, like, save this kid. Uh, if there's one question I've been asked more than any other in my ministry, it's, uh, Mark, have you seen a miracle? People are always, like, excited to ask the pastor if I've if I've seen like the, the, the blind see and the lame walk and the deaf hear. And anytime I get asked that question, I'm instantly excited because I share the same thing every single time. Yeah, actually, yeah, actually I've seen a miracle. Uh, when I was seven, uh, though death was imminent, though I was um, an enemy of God, a God in his pursuit, love, grace, and mercy reached down and breathed into my heart and made me a new creation and he called me his son and all of a sudden he gave me purpose and life and my ears were deaf to the gospel and now I hear and my eyes were blind to the message of Jesus but now I see and I wasn't walking with Christ but now I am and so yeah 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 have I experienced a miracle yeah it's me Christ has done a work in my life that's the miracle 
and the powerful image of what he is is still happening, right? And so anytime anyone asks me that question, they're, I, I'm not sure that that's the answer they were looking for, right? They're like, no, I, like, as you, you know, I'm talking like crazy stuff. This is crazy stuff. That he could take a punk sinner completely desperate and desolate and all of a sudden give me worth. And many of you guys feel that same way. Like maybe you're a miracle too. Um, scripture's packed with them, isn't it? In fact, we would say like the whole Bible is just one miracle after another. Tonight we have the great privilege of studying one of those in uh, intense fashion and form as we do here. Uh, how are the ladies here tonight? Any ladies here? Okay, yeah. It's good. A few confused and several that are uh, pretty assured of that. It's good. It's great to have you guys here. Um, you, you ladies, this, this is going to be a fun night for you because in Hebrews 11, uh, that which we've been studying, uh, there are only two females, Rahab the prostitute. We'll talk about her in a few weeks. And uh, tonight, uh, Sarai, as her name is pronounced before her name changed to anyone, Sarah, Abraham's wife. All about her tonight, in a sense. Uh, so here's what we know about her. In Genesis 11, the scripture says that she's barren. If you're uh, not a fan of dictionary.com, that means she can't have children, okay? She's barren. Uh, Genesis 12 tells us that when she goes to Egypt, that Pharaoh and the Egyptians find her beautiful. So she's barren and beautiful. And also what we know about the scripture is that she's incredibly old. So she's a beautifully barren old woman. Like that's some combination there of adjectives, you know? Like if, like that's just, that's just pretty solid. So that's who she is. Now, uh, a miraculous thing happens in her life. And so listen, we're going to take a journey tonight. And all I'm asking is that you'll go along with me, okay? A ton of work to do. So please, would you, would you start this journey and open your Bibles uh, if you brought them or turn in your phones to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Like I said, so much on my heart tonight and uh, this Hebrews 11 journey through faith has been so encouraging to me and I hope to you when you're there, say I'm there. Okay, impressive, impressive. Hebrews 11 verse 11. Here we go. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, and might I add, way past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised, in verse 12, therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So in verse 11, we see the end. It's where we're headed tonight. A miracle happens. An old, barren, beautiful woman has a kid. It's going to be awesome. We'll get there in a while. But to get there, it's the journey that makes this end so incredibly powerful and true. But we need to kind of rally everyone together. So can we rally? Is that cool? You don't have a choice, so here we go. Listen, in Genesis 12, Genesis 12, Abram, who's his name then, and his name changes in Genesis 17 to Abraham, he's a pagan man from a pagan land, from a pagan family. Doesn't know God. That's what that means. God pursues him, seeks him out, says, and now you're mine, right? And I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a father to many descendants. That's what he says, okay? You're going to be a huge father of a massive nation. Starts out very general. Listen, crazy. In Genesis 15, God and Abraham are talking. And Abraham's like, uh, I problema. Uh, I have no kids yet, right? Like, I'm getting older 
I still don't have any kids. God, what's the issue? What's the problem here? You said I was going to father many nations. We've gone some years here. I'm not getting any younger. He's plus 80 at this point, and he's seeing the writing on the wall, right? So God, what are you going to do? And God says, listen, listen, Abraham. The son will come, and it will be your heir. It will be your son. It will come from your marriage with Sarah. That's my plan. And the scripture says that Abraham believes God which is really curious because then Genesis 16 happens. So check this out, Genesis 16. Now, now Sarai, uh, her name before her name change, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Again, quick, quick reminder, God's just told him, your son, your heir, that's what's going to happen. Okay? And Sarai said to Abram, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and maybe that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So, you've just been told by God that your son is going to be your heir, and it's going to come from your marriage between you and Sarai, Sarah. And then Sarah comes and says, hey, here's the deal. I'm still barren. I got this Egyptian maidservant over here. Uh, her name's Hagar. Uh, here's what I think would really be good. You go sleep with her. You guys have a kid. We'll adopt the kid. And then all of our descendant issues are taken care of. And uh, I don't know, if, guys, if you've ever been like this before, but I just picture Abraham going like, like just nodding. He's not even saying anything. Like his wife is talking. He's just like going along with it, you know. Now, I have tremendous grace for Sarah. Here's why. This is an ancient uh, Near East tradition. She's following tradition. The tradition was this. If you're barren and you're old, and she's beautiful, but that wasn't a necessity of it. But if you're barren and you're old, and you have a maidservant, your husband can sleep with the maidservant, and then the kid from that relationship will just become yours. So all she's doing is she's going with the ancient nearest tradition. This sounds like a good plan. A problem is Abraham's heard from God. So apparently there's some communication issues in this marriage, okay? God, and, and I know I know that none of your marriages have any kind of communication issues. In fact, many of you I know major in awesome communication in your marriage. So it, just try to relate as best you can, okay? Imagine a marriage that didn't communicate well, uh, if you could. That's this marriage. Like God has spoken powerful truths to Abraham, and it's as if he's never relayed those to Sarah. It's as if Sarah's like walking around completely blind to all the things that God has spoken to Abraham. And so Abraham says, oh yeah, that's, that's a good plan. I mean, I just heard from God. And Genesis 15 said he believed God. I just heard from God that it was going to be my son. But yeah, let's, let's go with this plan. And so uh, he went into Hagar and she conceived. Anyone know the name of that child? Ishmael. Now, uh, if you know anything about your history, this causes pretty much a whirlwind of issues. Okay? Uh, Ishmael birthed a whole nation that is still warring against Israel. So if you thought that the Bible wasn't relevant to current history and current uh, 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 facts that are happening all over the world, this decision, this poor leadership on Abram's part, is still causing issues today, okay? So he went in, they conceived, and when she, uh, when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Uh, she gets a wee bit jealous. Again, I have grace for her. I can understand this. Uh, her, her husband conceives of this other woman, then, uh, Sarah, uh, then, then Hagar, 
looks in contempt on Sarah. This isn't good. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. <laughs> and again, I know, this is never, uh, I know this isn't like a conversation you've ever had before. But uh, just work hard at relating. Uh, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now, here's the classic moment of the male response in verse 6. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. It's 1-800-YO-FAULT. You know what I'm saying? So we, we, like we used to have like, like this back and forth bickering. Like this major issue has happened. You're in the wrong. I'm in the wrong. We're all in the wrong. Everyone's pointing fingers. So he says, do to her as you please. So he gives her a little bit of grace, and then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. We don't have time to go on all the issues between Sarah, uh, Sarah and Sarai and Hagar, but we can say this about um, this whole thing, is that Abram's done an incredibly poor job of leading his wife. There's going to be four statements that I want to encourage us with. They're going to challenge our faith as we look at the four stages of this process. And the first uh, statement that I'll make is this. Uh, next slide. It matters who you are following. I mean, and honestly, like the weight of these four statements as we work through this, I, I'm, I'm, it's hitting me now again. It matters who you're following. So, uh, husbands, if it matters that your wife is following you, and then you think that somehow that that leadership in your home, leadership in your marriage, is just going with the flow. Uh, husbands, let me uh, uh, share something with you. You are incredibly misguided. If you think that the leadership of your home and your household husbands is just going with the flow of life, just letting it come as it be like we see here in Abraham. Oh, that, this is a good idea. Okay, let's just go with it. You are incredibly misguided. Biblical leadership in the home, my friends, takes tremendous intentionality, a ton of time, an incredible amount of forethought. And if you desire to lead biblically in your home, it encompasses all of those things together, the lack of which is unbiblical lethargy, which I think is a huge epidemic in our culture. Men who are lethargic, men who aren't leading in their homes, men who in this case are following suit of this great father in the faith, Abraham. So, man, I just, I just want to tell you, it matters who you're following. And you've been entrusted to lead your wife. And the weight of that better sit on you big time. Uh, a struggle of mine, just so maybe you can hear what I'm saying. I felt like, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems as though the schedule never seems to die down. Have you ever noticed this? Like, you know, I considered myself to be a fairly involved college student. My schedule was fairly packed. Got up at 6, went to bed at midnight, loved things. Then I got married. It, and like, as my stages in life have progressed, my schedule doesn't seem to get less. It seems to just, are, are you guys with me? Like, it's like there's more, there's more stuff to do. And it's, it's great stuff. A lot of the stuff is great. So between mid-October and mid-November, here's what happened in my house. It seemed that every night... Like we were putting the kids to bed and then Heidi would leave. And we were putting the kids to bed and then I would leave. And then we were putting the kids to bed and every once in a while we would like have a half an hour even to chat. But it was discipling over here and it was pouring in over here. And it was like all of this ministry stuff. But after like three weeks, I looked at Heidi. I'm like, 
is it just me or have we not spent any time together? Is it just me or are we just doing a bunch of ministry? It was horrible leadership on my part. I was watching it happen right in front of my eyes, men. And I wasn't stepping in. I was just going with the flow, letting life control life. Are you with me? I wasn't being proactive. I was taking no forethought. I had no vision. I was sitting back saying, man, we're just, we're just pouring in all these people, and this is awesome, even if it hurts our family. Because we're still having time with our kids, right? Put the kids to bed, and then Heidi and I give each other a high five and say, go team, see you next week. That's poor leadership in my home. Now, I share this to say it's the same thing that Abraham experienced. It's never too late to repent, men. Are we together? Never too late. I know there's some awkward moments sometimes. Have you ever not prayed with your wife for a couple weeks and then you bring it up all of a sudden, right? She's like, oh, welcome back. You know, it's like, good to have you here. Honey, it's, it's on my heart that we should pray again. Like, yeah, this would be good. And there's, there's kind of that awkward moment. Get over the awkwardness, repent, and go now. And two weeks ago, that's what I did. I finally sat back. God smacked me around a little bit, showed me the husband that I, that I was being. And I came home and sat down with my wife, and I casted the vision for my family about our time. I said, here's what we're doing. Here's how we're going to guide. Let's discuss and wrestle with this together. Here's who we need to be investing in. Here's how it needs to look. Let's get on the same page. And that's what we did. We got on the same page. I repented for my lack of leadership. She got on board, and now we're pushing forward in a whole different vision. You see what I'm saying? So listen, guys, I don't, I don't know what the situation is, is in your house. I don't know the last time you prayed together. I don't know how you're leading her, if you're letting life control it, but I do know this, it's never too late to repent. It's never too late to turn it around. God has called you. She's following you. Embrace it, okay? Now, I recognize that it's not just marriage in here. Uh, there are also one or two or 20 uh, folks that are dating. Um, and so in terms of what it means to follow someone, I also uh, think that there's some practical implications in dating. W- would you mind? Okay. For the marriage, this will be a little fun. For the non-marriage, this may struggle a little bit. Uh, next slide. Here's what I want to do. Is I want, I want to share with you three questions, you females, that you can ask yourself in preparation of, is this guy worthy of leading me? Are we together? Okay, so three questions, practical questions, you can ask yourself. And wives, honestly, these may still apply to you. The first question, girls, uh, uh, ask from uh, your perspective. Can he teach me about God's character through the scripture now? Uh, now is the key term. He's got so much potential, though. Yeah, that's good. Well, let him work that potential out in a non-dating relationship. You know, like, like, let him and God work that out, and then he can come back to you. Okay, if your man can open the Bible, and I'm not saying, like, exposit the book of Revelation, okay? But if he can point to the character of God in the text and encourage you towards the character of God, if he can do that, then that's one great aspect on his report card of leadership. Are we together? Okay? If he can't do that, if he's scared to even open the Bible and you think, well, well, maybe maybe he'll just get better. Great. Let him get better on his own. Right? Like, let him be. Okay? And you move on to the guy that can. Next thing. Um... Is he more interested in my holiness or his pleasure? I didn't think that was funny. Uh, and, and, and maybe this is for marriage more than I thought originally. Like maybe, maybe this doesn't change, right? 
that you want to get in a dating relationship with some guy um, who, who initially like, has a lot of great things to say because he can say, God, well done, right? Hooked on phonics, worked for you, that's brilliant, right? But then you start to see that really what he's interested in is not your holiness and pushing you to the person of Christ. Really, even though it's masked with all kinds of good Sunday school stuff, really what he desires is his pleasure. And maybe that's just the stroking of his ego, Maybe that's just, oh yeah, I've got, a, I've got a girlfriend now. This is nice, right? Uh, men, uh, by nature, are quite insecure. Females didn't know if you knew this, okay? You can tell really quick in a guy if he's interested in your holiness, if he's continually taking a back seat and pushing you towards Christ consistently. That's what he's doing. Uh, if a guy uh, is really interested in making out for like three hours on the first date, I'm just saying, like, I don't know that that's a great sign, you know? <laughs> Like, this is cool and all. Have you heard of God? I like God. Can we make out? That'll be great. I, I'm not going with that guy. Like, that's just... Okay. The last thing, and this is huge on my heart, is his reputation packed with serving and loving others for God's glory. What, what, do, what do others say about this guy? Is he a deceiver? Is he a womanizer? Uh, the re- the uh, key word there is reputation because it's all the things that precede him. Oh, but he's changing. Great, let him change. Let him keep changing, in fact. Because a reputation will reflect change because people will remember the massive change that's happening. You see what I'm saying? And let me just make a warning in here to the dudes, especially in dating relationships. We're really concerned here about protecting our females. And not just those who are dating, but also those who are married. Really interested in protecting you females. And so I share all of this with a tremendous heart of love. That dude better have a reputation of loving God and serving others. He better be a servant. If you think you're going to spend your life with a dude who's called to serve and love you as Christ loved the church and he doesn't have a reputation of that, oh, but he'll change. Yeah, maybe let him change on his own, right? It's incredibly important who you're following. It matters who you're following. Married relationships, dating relationships, and the last thing, though I could talk about cultural influence and a litany of things, I want to talk about discipleship. A big rise in our church right now. In fact, I would say the best thing that's happened in our church in the last year. So many people in discipling relationships, I'm loving it. It's so encouraging. But let me say this. We must never get caught up in pouring into others and others pouring into us while putting people's character on the back seat. You see what I'm saying? It almost gets addicting to be pouring into others and have others pouring into us. And we stop asking the question, but who is pouring in? Who are they? I know they're taking an interest in me. And that's kind of, you know, that's fun. And they can read the Bible. But is their character exemplary? Are they seeking the Lord themselves? Are, are they someone that's worth following? I'm just encouraging you, don't say yes to a discipling relationship unless you see the marks of the gospel on someone's life. It's not worth it to get in a relationship where someone's just interested in pouring into you. That's not worth it. We love to be pursued, but it's not worth it. It's incredibly important. It matters who you're following. And in this case, Sarah is misguided by a husband that's considered the father of the faith who just goes with the flow, just lets life take over. It matters greatly. We together? Now, that's just stage one. This kind of keeps adding to the drama here in uh, Genesis 17. Let's look at this. Genesis 17, stage two, verse 15. God said to Abraham, he's changed his name here in that first section in Genesis 17, now getting ready to change Sarai's name. As for Sarai, your wife, you should not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. 
I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. He keeps getting specific in his covenant. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. That's a big promise. Verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Now, this is somewhat curious. Um, God and him are having this conversation. He's um, uh, well beyond 86 now. now. Now, he was 86 when they had Ishmael. He'll be pushing 100 when he ends up having Isaac. And God speaks. Have you ever had a conversation with someone where they thought, a, where they thought it was incredibly serious and you thought it was a joke and you started laughing and they're like, uh, I'm not, it's not a joke. Have you ever had one of those moments? Quick example, maybe this will help. Uh, when I was uh, youth pastoring, I did many crazy things. And one of them, I was on my way to speak at a conference and I had this brilliant idea. I need a coffin at this conference. And so... I called the, the local funeral home there in the city that I was traveling, and I, I got on the uh, home with the, what do they call those people, coroners, the funeral director? Okay, thank you for the participation. Uh, the person who's in charge of it, that's who I called. And um, I said, hey, here's the deal. I'm a youth pastor. My name's Mark. Uh, I'm 23 years old. Didn't say that, but that's how old I was. And here's what I need. I need a coffin today. And like on the other end of the phone, all I heard was this like chuckle of like an 80-year-old man. You know what I'm saying? Like he's like, <laughs> And, and I'm on the other line, like crickets, right? Like big gulps. I mean, I'm not saying anything. And after his chuckle, he's like, wait, you're serious, aren't you? Yeah, I need a coffin. Like, how can I, like, I don't have, you know, that's before I had a man van. Like, can we, can you like deliver this coffin thing, you know? And uh, have you ever had one of those moments though? By the way, I got the coffin. But have you ever had one of those moments where, or someone was, uh, someone was being serious and you thought they were joking? This is kind of that moment for Abraham. Like God's being incredibly serious. In fact, I would say that, that God is pretty serious all the time, right? Uh, joyful, certainly, but uh, serious. He means business. And so he comes to Abraham. Uh, remember that whole promise thing? Like, I'm still going to do that. It's still going to happen. And Abraham falls on his face and laughs. Well, why do, why do people laugh in those moments? It's because they're thinking that they're not serious, Abraham's been told time and time by God, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and he's still not taking God seriously. He changes his name, changes Sarah's name, he falls on his face and laughs and says to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Like, like this isn't typical, God, right? Shall Sarah, who is 90 year old, uh, bear, uh, bear a child? Next slide. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. What is Abraham pleading? He's like, remember, I got this kid over here by Hagar. Like, that can all work out, God. You see what he's arguing? Like, look, God, I, I, I got it under control. Like, me and Sarah, we figured it out. Hagar, the maidservant, the Egyptian, you know him, you created him. Like, Ishmael. God said, no. And I love that word in this moment in the scripture. And I feel like tonight so many of you need to hear that word right now from the mouth of the Lord. You're like rationalizing. God's trying and calling you to something very specific. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. God, it's, listen, it's all good. It's all good. Seriously, I've worked it all out. I've talked to these people. We've got these people on our sides. And God's like, no. Have you forgotten the call? Have you forgotten what I told you? Have you forgotten what I showed you three years ago and how I was going to work this out? No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. Here comes the name. This is happening and now he's named. 
Before he was just a descendant, son, but now all of a sudden his name is Isaac. How many of you tonight just need to hear that word from God? No. Stop rationalizing. Stop thinking that you have it under your control. Stop thinking that your plans will supersede the plans of the Lord. No. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Beautiful, beautiful language. And so we can say this as our second statement. Next slide. It matters what you know about God. It's clear at this point in Abraham's life, as much as God has told him, he's still growing in his understanding about who God is. Now, this is huge in my heart, so stay with me here. I've been thinking a lot about this. When we worship God, song, obedience, all of what worship is, a new believer worships God, obeys God based on what? God saved me and pulled me out of the pit. I was an enemy, now I'm a friend and son, right? That's, that's what a new believer knows, amen? And that's enough. Like for, for you as a new believer, like that was stirring some worship in you. When you came to Christ, it was, yes! I've tasted grace and mercy, this is incredible. But as we mature, as we grow, all of a sudden, the case for worshiping God thickens. Here's this piece of his character, and this piece of his character, and this piece of his character. You see what I'm saying? And pretty soon, your case, if you're in the scripture, is a whole Bible full worth of reasons why to worship. But the problem is so many of you not in God's scripture, banking on laziness, when it comes to worship, though you've been a believer for 10 years, you're still worshiping off the fact that he pulled you out of the pit, which is great and foundational, but there's so much more. We were praying even earlier here before the service, what does it mean to worship God who is a wrathful God? Who is a jealous God? Who is a God who is just? What does it mean to worship that God? It matters what you know about God because it stirs in you a deeper sense of worship. And I'm not just talking about song. I'm talking about life and obedience. Are you with me? Abraham, it's clear, he's still growing. And rightfully so. What, what, is, what access does he have to know about God? Is he reading a book? Moses hasn't written the Pentateuch yet. Like it hasn't happened. The first five books of the Bible, it's not there. So all that Abraham knows about God is his voice. Some would say that's a pretty strong case, right? Like God's speaking to me. We should figure this out, okay? But the history is minimal. So I give a little bit of grace to Abraham, but at the same time, I look at you with a little bit of grace and say the case should be pretty strong. But is it? Is it tonight? Are you still like worshiping off last week's stuff instead of walking in this room saying, here's the crazy thing. Uh, this piece of his character was revealed to me, and I'm just to this place in my life where I'm trembling at the reality of who God is, right? And so it matters what you know about God. Now, a stage three doesn't get better. I'm sorry if you were looking for encouragement. It doesn't happen. Next slide. Genesis 18, verse 9. Uh, they said to him, and I don't have time to uh, uh, teach on who the they is, some messengers uh, where is Sarah, your wife, Abraham? Uh, and he said, she is in the tent. And the Lord said, all of a sudden, God's here speaking again. I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Uh, 
God knows men well. Um, man, Confucius says, needs many reminders, okay, right? And so here, like, God just keeps coming with the reminders. Listen, Abraham, again, I'll surely, but this time now we have a time factor. This time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And look at what Sarah was doing. She was listening at the tent door behind him because I know wives uh, never are, like, lurking around conversations. You know what I'm saying? Like, it never happens where, like, all of a sudden my wife, like, peeps in. Oh, I just happened to overhear what was going on, like... So who are you talking to, honey? Oh, I, I didn't know you were there. Like, what happened here, right? Eavesdrop.com, verse 11. Um, she's listening uh, uh, at the tent door behind. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Uh, that means uh, she ain't having kids by any stretch of imagination in terms of human uh, understanding. Uh, so Sarah laughed at herself. This seems to be a family tradition here, right? Abraham laughs in the face of God, Sarah at least to herself. What's awesome about the reality of this moment in the scripture is it shows how prevalent God is and how personal God is. Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out, interesting way of putting it, my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And then the Lord said to Abraham, uh, remember the Garden of Eden, anyone? Some of you guys are still needing a strong case for why the men are called to be leaders in the home. Some of you are still saying, yeah, but that's just kind of cultural. Uh, you know, like now it's like women's rights and, and we, we're, we're have nothing against women here. Amen? Like we like women, okay? That, we have great value in women, right? Are we together? Okay? Edit. Uh, and so we have great value in women, Right? But, but in, in this moment in the scripture, where does God go? Sarah's the one who's left, and where does God go? He goes to Abraham. Remember what happened in the garden? Where did God go? He went to Adam. Okay? This is consistent all throughout the scripture. I don't care about the cultural argument. You need to read your Bible. The man is called to be the leader in the house. God goes to Abraham. Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Like, what's the deal here? Can you please explain this to me? Because there's, next slide. Uh, is anything too hard for the Lord? First time it's uttered in the scripture, certainly not the last. In fact, I would say the rest of the Bible is uttering that same line. But could you imagine hearing it from the mouth of God? Why is she laughing? Is anything too hard for the Lord? The weight of that statement right now is, is hitting me anew. Is anything, is anything too hard? Right? I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And I'm not calling you out, women, in this moment, but certainly some ir- humorous irony. But Sarah denied it, uh, saying, I did not laugh. Um, again, I know that's never happened in your marriage. Um, and it certainly goes both ways, for she was afraid, and, and uh, then God said, uh, no, uh, actually, you, you did laugh. <laughs> I know it was to yourself, but I, I'm God, and so I get that whole thing there. <laughs> you can't hide anything from me. Now, listen to this, crazy, crazy. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, listen to this, please. Mary is being spoken to. 
And she's dealing with this issue of God's going to give her a child, though she's a virgin. And one of the strategies of encouraging her by this messenger of the Lord is to say, listen, Elizabeth, your relative, who was barren and old too, is with child, six months. John the Baptist is what his son, uh, her son's name is going to be. And amidst that whole conversation, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later from this moment, Luke, uh, Luke 1, for nothing will be po- impossible with God. Mary hears the exact same words that all of a sudden comes up in Genesis. It's all surrounding God's ability to accomplish what he promised. For nothing will be impossible with God. Makes me make uh, this third statement here. Can, can you guys just read that and just let it just sit on you for a second? It matters that there is nothing too hard for God. I uh, was pretty ambitious, 17 years old, uh, trying to figure out my calling. So I decided to do a youth rally. That's what you do. I was called to youth ministry. I wanted to do something. I wanted a place to preach. And I was kind of growing uh, as a young man. And so uh, the very first ministry thing I ever did was this youth rally. I had this big grandiose idea. Uh, we had the shed at our church that we called the barn. So you had to like think of a title for the youth rally that like all went together. So we called it Blaze at the Barn. You know, like the ever classic like fire image that youth ministries often use. And uh, I was really excited about this. I mean, 17 years old, you know, I'm thinking it may just be my mom and I that are there, but it's still going to be fun. And I like puff paint this like big banner poster. Guys, would any of you guys admit to puff paint before? Have you ever used it? No, I'm talking males. That's females. That just made me feel incredibly bad. Are there any males here who have used puff paint? Okay. All right. Good. Good. Um, I don't feel so lonely. But I made this huge like blaze of the barn but I still wasn't satisfied. I needed a ministry name. I needed a ministry name. And so I came up with a 413 Ministries. And I was all about it. I mean, I made the letterhead, 17 years old, made the letterhead. I bought a trailer, put 413 Ministries down the, down the side of it, painted it silver. I mean, I had the colors. I was legit. Dude, I had t-shirts, bro. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I was a legit minister of the gospel, right? Uh, the, the youth rally... Um, in fact, turned out to be a blaze of the barn. There wasn't air conditioning in the barn there. I hadn't considered that. We did it on July 20th. And um, seriously, this band was playing called Soul. They were a Greenville College band. Uh, horrible at that. But um, it's all I could afford, 25 bucks. Um, they, um, it was literally like 120 in there, okay? Like seven people came. It was great. But you guys know 413, right? You know where that comes from? It's like the poster verse for just about every Christian, right? Philippians 4.13, what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We confuse what that means with that. I was confused about what that meant at 17 in terms of what it means there. When the Lord said, there's nothing too hard for me, did you know there's nothing too hard for the Lord? We translate that with God. Like, dude, like all things are possible. 
and it becomes this motivational verse just to go for it. The point of the whole Bible is it's all relying on his power to accomplish it. Yeah, nothing's impossible even through you because it's on him. It's not on you. He will accomplish his plan with you or without you. And when I finally came to that realization, I I had to like take a ban from Philippians 4.13. Sounds bad. I'm back to it now in its proper understanding. But its proper understanding is God will accomplish it. Nothing's impossible because it's him. And in that moment, for Sarah as she laughs, she doesn't believe that it matters, that nothing's too hard for the Lord. Right? Now, a quick interlude and then the last stage. Genesis 20, we would think that Abraham's wising up. Nope. Lies to a King Abimelech about Sarah being uh, his sister again. You guys remember, he did that back in Genesis 20. This is the second time. He hasn't learned from his past sins. He's much older now. He's been on a pretty rocky journey in his marriage, and he's still lying about his wife. This is the father of the faith. Isn't it encouraging, though? If he was, like, spotless outside of a few little, like, few, like, nicks in there, then it would put more ownership on him. But because of his struggles, it puts all the ownership on Father God. Are we together, right? So all of this to get to Genesis 21. Check this out. Awesome, awesome. The Lord visited Sarah. What's the word there? As he had said. When? A long time ago. There's a passage in the scripture that say things like, uh, wait on the Lord. Because God, like, when he said, hey, I'm going to give you descendants, he didn't say tomorrow. He visited her as he had said, okay? And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. This is incredible. Can you put up Hebrews 11, uh, verse 11 again for me? Verse 11. Remember what verse 11 uh, said? By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. What is power escalating? What? The work of God. God shows up, and in his power, all of a sudden we have conception at barren old age. She's probably still beautiful, but barren old age. Right. God comes in power, but look at what this verse continues to say. Even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. If you're like me, I'm saying faithful. When was she faithful? I'm like trying to figure it out. Well, something must have happened between the time she laughed and now, where she has begun by God's power to trust You hear what I said there? She's begun by God's power to trust. It wasn't her mustering it up. It was God in his pursuit, in his his initiation, growing her faith. So she bears a son, and his name is Isaac. Next slide. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. She's remembering her past. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And sense of joy here maybe in verse 7. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? You've got to love that. She's beginning to recognize the power of God. Yet I have borne him a son. And I kind of, this is kind of funny to me. 
in his old age, you know. She's pretty old too, but she continues to point out his age, you know. Next slide. Uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 12, before we look at the last thing that matters, escalates our final point. Therefore, from one man, Abraham, and him as good as dead, old. Right? Like he, it would appear that nothing would come from Abraham. Him as good as dead. We're born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. He's good as dead. He's almost in the grave. And yet God shows up, intervenes, and does a mighty, mighty work. Incredible. So we could say this last thing that matters. It matters that God doesn't break promises. I mean... No one, just like Sarah would have, no one would have said, yep, you'll be 100, she'll be 90, kids, go. Like, this will happen. No one would have said that. Improbable, impossible. And yet, all of a sudden, God comes, and he has to, because he can't break his promise. Isn't that freeing, my friends? The things that you have heard about God from his scripture, he cannot go against them. And so it may not be in your exact etch-a-sketch timing, but it's going to come true. It will come to fruition. It will happen. A powerful journey. Now, I feel like we need to ask one question and one statement, make one statement and ask three questions because of all of this. Because I'm still stirring in the, on the inside of, okay, so what do I take from this? Trust God when I'm a barren, old, beautiful woman? Like, I, you know, what, like what, what's my application here? Here it is. What plans are laughable to man are possible to God. And I know that there are things stirring in your mind and your heart that if you were to tell someone, others, even, even Christians would laugh. Isn't that tough? When you feel like God's stirring something in you and then you tell another believer and they laugh? What plans are laughable to man are completely possible with God. That statement, though, I've been wrestling with for several days, and it begs three questions. The first is this. Whose plans are you following? And that question has tremendous implications. In fact, I would say that that question, you really don't understand it until you ask this. Next slide. Can it be gauged by how impossible it seems. In other words, does your life right now seem possible? Does everything in your life seem possible? Does it feel like all the aspects of your realm you could take care of? If that's the case, I'm going to make a strong argument for you're not listening to something. The whole theme of the Bible is trusting God. This is impossible. I know it seems improbable, but he will pull it through. He will accomplish his plan. What, what and whose plans are you following right now? Are they yours? Those safe, well-constructed, properly calculated plans that you've written out even on a piece of paper, put it on the fridge and make yourself feel better about it? Or is it those longings in your heart that you're passing away as nice inspirations when God's saying, I know everyone will laugh, but it's possible with me. I know people will ridicule. And in that moment, you just need to remember Noah. 
Now, all of these questions lead to one question, and that's this, who is your God? So, uh, many of you, unfortunately, have constructed a God in your own mind. I mean, you, you come to church, it's awesome. You even read the Bible. But you've still packaged God in such a way that God is possible. That every piece of God seems plausible. That you can explain all of the depths of God with your brilliant rhetoric. If that's what you've done, if you've just created a God in your own mind, it's no different than the golden calf. It's not God. It's just who you've constructed in that brilliant mind of yours to worship and make you feel better about eternity. Oh, I'm sure my God would never call me to do this piece. I'm sure God, God, my God just calling me to be safe and live in this way. Everything's possible. Everything's merry. I even have the roses planted out front. It's when you start seeing the impossible become possible that it starts revealing who your God is really, really quick. If your God just a God in your own mind, it's a graven image. It's not a God at all. But if your God is the God of the Bible, creator, redeemer, restorer, healer, if that's your God, then all of the things that you deem and seem impossible are possible. If that's your God, then miracles are still happening. The blind are still seeing, the deaf are still hearing, the lame are still walking. And it may not be the physical blind or the physical deaf or the physical lack of walking. It's your salvation. It's what the power of Christ is doing in your life. It's taking the improbable and the impossible of you Your sin, your regret, your remorse, all of the horrible decisions that you've made and all of a sudden you have worth and value because of who he is. That is miraculous and that takes a God. That doesn't just take moral thought or nice words in a book. That takes a God who sends his spirit and breathes a new creation in you. Are you with me, church? And when God does that, then all of a sudden everything in your life changes. And you're waiting for the next miracle, for the next improbable and impossible to come true. And you start moving from this could never happen to if my God wants it, it will. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait on the Lord and I'm going to continue to build the case for why he's worthy of worship. I sit back from this and I say, well, be encouraged because the father of faith certainly struggled and a woman, though promised a son, battles through her faith. I step back from this story and I see a man and a woman who at the end of their journey knew full well who their God was. And so I ask you, do you? And if you don't tonight, my friends, you can. The God that seems so distant, the God that seems there's no way he could ever love you, maybe you're the next miracle.
maybe all that sin, regret, and remorse all of a sudden becomes the next revelation that our God is alive. Let's stand together. I want to pray for you guys and... um, I think most, mostly, I've heard a lot of people say before a lot of mission trips, God, keep us safe. I'm not so sure that's the right prayer. You guys understand? I'm not so sure every day I should be waking up and asking God to form his plans around my safety. I'm not convinced. So what I'm praying for is that actually our perception of safety would be humbled in the reality of his calling, right? Whatever his call may be, as laughable as it seems like, it's certainly possible with him. And so if it means that I'm not safe and my school system doesn't match and my family even has to live in a tougher area of the city because that's where God's called me to minister, then he's my God. So what else am I doing? I have nothing else. I have nowhere else to go. He's everything. So that's what I'm going to pray for you. God, um, I thank you that you don't break your promises. And I thank you, God, that no matter what you call us to, scary or hard, that your word holds true that you are our refuge. And that through the tears and through uh, the pain that this world will bring, uh, that you are our Father, the Father to the fatherless. And so God, I pray tonight uh, not for the plans of man to be escalated, but rather, I pray God for your feats to be made known. I pray, God, for you to use us as servants that your name may be made great. I pray, God, that you would humble us, that your name would be exalted. I pray, Father, against the mentality of safety and for the mentality of whatever it is that you would have of us, God. Please, Lord Jesus, take out the constructed image of you in our mind and implant in us the view of the Scripture, your reality, your character, the fullness of it, God. Do a work in us that causes us to say, You are our God.